Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first property casualty insurance podcast, bringing you perspective and insight on the top issues facing industry professionals. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Kathy Imus. On today's election special, we're uncovering the 2018 midterm results, how a divided Congress could impact the insurance advocacy landscape for years to come. Plus, raging wildfires in California, the losses expected from the most destructive fire in state history. And the recounts continue. How the outcomes of key Florida races could shape upcoming Supreme Court cases regarding assignment of benefits. Our top story today, the California wildfires, where insured losses have reached billions of dollars and continue to climb. A Moody's report estimates losses from 2017 and 2018 fires to be around $6.8 billion so far. The death toll from the Camp Fire in Northern California is approaching 50, making this the deadliest blaze ever recorded in the state. The death toll from the Camp Fire in Northern California is approaching 50, making this the deadliest blaze ever recorded in the state. The Camp Fire has forced 52,000 people to evacuate their homes and has destroyed more than 7,000 structures. In Southern California, firefighters are battling the Woolsey Fire, which has taken two lives so far. The Woolsey Fire has destroyed at least 435 structures, with another 57,000 threatened in Southern California. President Trump has approved a major disaster declaration for the state. Sherry Bibich Jeffy, political analyst and public policy communications professor at the University of Southern California, joins us today. Sherry, at the state level, are there public policy issues or land use management reforms that are likely going to come up as a result of these fires? The reality is that 60% of, of, of that land is under the purview of the federal government. Another 20 is under private direction. Only 20% of the forests are under the control of the state. What happened here was what uh, was an urban fire, an urban incident. Um, so what I think is going to happen and what sounds like what is going to happen, particularly with Democrats in control of the governorship here and with super majorities, enough uh, to really do anything they want, including raising taxes in the both houses of the legislature, is the focus will be on insurance. And the focus will be on uh, consumer protection. It will be on a close overview of what the insurance companies do with regard to raising rates because of what is happening with regard to the incidence of fires. I think that's where a lot of the focus will be in Sacramento. There will be other um, other issues that will be debated around uh, the wildfires, not the forest fires, but uh, it appears to me that the first buzz is around insurance. So moving to insurance, have they called the uh, the election on the insurance commissioner yet? I've looked and looked. The answer is no. It appears that um, Laura has um, moved a wee bit ahead of uh, Steve Poisner. Now, uh, Richard Laura is the Democratic um, 
candidate, Steve Poisner, the former insurance commissioner, is the Republican candidate. And the rule of thumb in California is that the later vote tends to trend Democratic. And if that continues, it looks as though it will be. Laura, I haven't seen that the AP has called it. Um, the Secretary of State doesn't really call. But yesterday, there was a banner on the Secretary of State's election page that said, Close contest. Today, it has Laura ahead by, I think, about a point or so. But it no longer says close contest. A Poisoner win could pose challenges for the insurance industry, as he did during his stint as commissioner from 2007 to 2011. During that time, he adopted the insure-to-value regulations that the insurance industry unsuccessfully challenged all the way to the Supreme Court of the state. NAMIC is continuing to monitor the outcome of this race closely. And we are hopeful that whoever the new commissioner is, he will work to collaborate with insurers to address the evolving needs of insurance consumers in the state. On a national level, the midterm elections will no doubt have an impact on our industry. With the U.S. House now held by the Democratic majority following the midterm election, NAMIC's senior vice president of government affairs, Jimmy Grandy, expects some challenges. But he still believes the divided Congress will make progress on legislation important to the insurance industry. On today's Unscripted, our Chuck Chamnus talks with Jimmy about how the election results could shape the insurance advocacy landscape for the next few years. Well, welcome back to the podcast, Jimmy. Great to have you, as always. Uh, We just had an important election last week, a midterm election, and uh, so having you here to help explain to our listeners um, what happened and why we should care. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we know the basics. Democrats took the House. Uh, Republicans held on to the Senate. Um, so what happens next? Or what do you think of the outcomes? Is it what you expected? And um, were you surprised by anything? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I'll, I'll, I'll say that uh, prior to the election, the only thing I thought I knew for sure is that it would be full of surprises, as the last few elections have been very hard to get a read on. Um, history is no longer a very good guide, and the polling seems to be off. Uh, however, I think probably the biggest surprise of this election was that there was a lack of surprises. Um, the most conventional wisdom is what we saw in the outcome of this election. Uh, you know, it was if the election went to historic form and to what the conventional wisdom was, the Democrats would win the House, uh, the Republicans would pick up uh, gains in the Senate. And you would see uh, a turnover in uh, a number of state houses around the country. That's pretty well what happened. I guess if there's one surprise uh, or notable fact, it's the turnout. Uh, Turnout was uh, set records. It was the highest turnout since 1914. Uh, There were, I think, 47% of the voting eligible population cast votes in the midterm election. Uh, turnout was up 12 percent from just from just 2014. So a lot of people uh, turned out to vote. And I guess if you're trying to find something positive to say about the election, which is sometimes you got to look hard for those factoids, is that uh, more Americans seem to be showing up and casting a vote than uh, ever before. Yeah, that is a positive sign. And I need your statistics there. Uh, 
I just spoke to our Iowa member companies last week and uh, last week, yesterday. Seems like last week. But uh, I cited the uh, 47% turnout, 110, 110 million voters, and highest turnout in 50 years, going back to the uh, early 70s, kind of Nixon era. So I had not seen the highest since 1914. I'll have to find out uh, where you got that. But regardless, it was a really high turnout on both sides of the aisle, which is encouraging. Um, tell us, um, you know, any stunning results, uh, any particularly interesting outcome? Well, you know, I, I think if you had to pick a particular interesting outcome, it's, it's that um, when you go, when you look across the whole country, because you got to remember when we have these elections, we get focused around you know, one or two interesting races that get nationalized. But, you know, we had uh, governor's races, state house races, and in many cases, they the historic average is held up. The truth is, is while there's 250 new members in state legislatures, um, we only saw a handful actually change. You know, same thing with governors, Chuck, you know, uh, the governors, we were expecting some massive turnover, which they, they were saying it could have been uh, up to 10 or 12 seats gained um, by Democrats. And it was about six, and it was about what you would expect from an average. Um, I think if you if you want to, I think you asked more specifically, are there any that are particularly meaningful for us? I would focus on Ohio. You know, Mike DeWine, former uh, uh, U.S. Senator, just became governor. Uh, he beat a gentleman by the name of Richard Cordray, who was the first director of the uh, CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And uh, Mr. Cordray was not a fan of uh, insurers. So we think that's probably a, a helpful win in Ohio, where we have a, a very healthy regulatory environment for the industry. So let's turn our attention to uh, Congress. And you know, talk about what um, this election means, particularly in the uh, the new democratically controlled House. Uh, how will that impact our advocacy going forward? That's a great question. Um, you know, for the most part, you're going to see on a national level on the big issues, lots of gridlock. And the stories are all going to be about, you know, the president, Democrats in Congress, long, and they're not going to get anything accomplished. And those stories, I would suggest, are going to look exactly like the stories looked when you had a President Obama and a Republican House. They're going to tend not to agree on the biggest issues that get reported on. But for our industry and a lot of industries, um, you know, we have to be ready to work with whomever gets elected to every seat from mayor up to president. And so I think on our issues, whether it's flood insurance reform, whether it's getting the terrorism reinsurance program reauthorized, whether it's creating the right controls on these, this international standard setting that's starting to impact our industry. I think those are nonpartisan issues, and I think we'll continue to make um, progress uh, no matter who's in charge. Well, that's good news. Um, you know, looking at Losses and, and some that I know we counted on and we've talked about and have been highlighted in our uh, successes. People like 
you know, Dean Heller in the Senate, uh, known for uh, Heller Tester, uh, Eric Paulson, Carlos Carlos Curbelo, um, you know, both in the House. Um, we lost those champions, but I wonder if you have some uh, sense of who our champions will be going forward, or how we'll cultivate new ones. Yeah, you know, champions are uh, sometimes underappreciated in our business because without an elected member of Congress who is willing to become passionate about our issues and willing to help uh, through brute force, you know, push it through the system, we, we don't make a lot of progress. Uh, and we're going to be in the market for a whole lot of new champions. Uh, a statistic I saw this morning, Chuck, was that in, in, uh, there are 104 members of Congress that served in the last two years that won't be serving uh, in the new Congress, which, you know, out of 435 members of the House, you know, you're getting close to 25 uh, percent new, new players. And uh, the other statistic I saw that was interesting was, uh, on average, Congress got 10 years younger. Um, so I'll say this, when you're, when you're talking about identifying champions, I think, you know, this may sound um, contrite, but our, our members are our champions because uh, through our congressional contact program, when our members fly into town, all over the country, NAMIC members uh, take the time to build relationships with their members of Congress. Those are where our champions come from. You know, so if you're thinking of someone like, um, you know, Gary Thompson in uh, Missouri, who got to know and become friends with his member of Congress, Blaine Lukemeyer, uh, he's a pretty important player for us in the next Congress. Um, so. I think we're going to find champions at all different corners. Um, you know, last year, NAMIC Legislator of the Year was Gwen Moore um, from the uh, uh, Wisconsin region, and she's been a champion for us on state-based insurance regulation. So w we find our champions uh, sometimes not where we most expect it. Uh, and, uh, the more, our, the more our members take the time to reach out, uh, build relationships, come to Washington, visit with their members of Congress, the more champions we're going to have, and that's going to lead us to more victories. Well, what about the Senate? Uh, we haven't talked specifically about the Senate, but uh, any changes in Senate leadership that will affect uh, us and our issues going forward? Well, I don't think so, because, you know, the Senate didn't end up having a whole lot of... Uh, turnover. The Republicans picked up a net of two seats in the Senate. The leadership will most largely stay the same. Uh, the Senate has been pretty focused on uh, issues that don't relate to the insurance industry specifically. You know, they've been focused, as, as you might imagine, as we all know, on, on judges and some of the larger uh, deregulatory agenda of the administration. Uh, frankly, uh, a whole lot of our issues over the last few years uh, have made great progress in the House to just come and, and, and sort of languish in the Senate. Uh, so we're, we're I, I would say, hopeful that maybe the Senate Banking Committee uh, will be a little more active in the next two years than they were in the last few years in uh, the insurance space. Uh, because we, we've got some important provisions and uh, issues we'd like to see them deal with. 
Well, let's move to the states. You already touched on uh, some of the changes we've had in uh, governor's races and the situation in Ohio. What about, uh, you know, insurance commissioners, uh, changes in state legislatures? Uh, we are a state-regulated industry, and what the states uh, do matters a lot to us. So how do you see things shaping up there? Any particular, um, you know, issues to talk about or uh, election outcomes? Well, you know, I talked about the high level of turnover in Congress, and uh, in the state legislatures, it's 250 individuals. Um, the governors, uh, there's been, because there were fewer governors that turned over, uh, that could lead to uh, a fewer turnover in state regulators. Heading into this election, uh, we thought that there might have been as many as 20 new uh, insurance regulators. It appears that that number is going to be a lot lower now because in places like Ohio, uh, Mike DeWine wins, he keeps the current regulator, and you don't have a, a new one that has to be appointed. You know, there are states and places where the industry is uh, a little bit more on alert, uh, whether it's uh, Colorado, um, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, these are states where it appears the election may make it a little more difficult for the insurance industry based on gains uh, through the trial bar. And I'll tell you, uh, it once was true that uh, trial bar victories were synonymous with uh, Democratic victories in certain places around the country. And uh, that's not even any longer the case. You know, we've been battling uh, Republican trial bar uh, in the Florida State House and in other places around the country as well. Uh, so it's it's a little early, only a week out, to tell you exactly where we think our, our biggest uh, challenges are going to be as an industry, but we do expect uh, a tougher time uh, on our issues in places like Wisconsin, Minnesota, Colorado. Well, we'll be up for the challenge, I'm sure. Um, last question. Uh, Big one, but you know this election. Part of what drove turnout and all the energy around it was, you know, at some level it was a referendum on uh, the president. But it was just a midterm. The next election really is a referendum on President Trump, his administration, his leadership. Um, how soon is this going to start? Uh, you know, as early as January, when campaigning really begins for the presidential election. What do you see out in the next couple of years, Jimmy? This is going to be interesting. I mean, he, he is the first president in 100 years to pick up Senate seats during a midterm, right? So the people he's talking to uh, are buying what he's selling, right? Everybody who elected him two years ago uh, are just as enthusiastic, and they would tell you he's doing a great job and, you know, uh, an amazing guy. Everybody who did not vote for President Trump is probably even more mad. They can't believe it, and they're very, and they're even more upset. So, I, the, to your question, the 2020 elections begun certainly for the Republicans, because you know President Trump is the president and will and will be campaigning immediately. The Democrats are going to have to go through uh, some soul searching, and they're going to have to find the right candidate, right? Uh, depending on who they put up as a candidate. Uh, will make it uh, a lot easier or a lot more difficult for President Trump. Um, so I think it's going to be uh, 
not a very uh, appealing process. It's going to be a lot like what we've seen over the last few years where it seems to be like shirts versus skins, me versus you, you're either for me or you're against me. Um, and I think the, the civil discourse was going to continue to break down because of the nature of what they're trying to do, which is to talk to the people who already think um, just like they do. Well, Jimmy, thank you for the assessment of this election we've just gone through and uh, for the preview of what we're likely to see in the next couple of years. Um, appreciate your insights as always and look forward to uh, working with you to help our members uh, be successful in this environment that we have coming up in the next Congress and in states around the country. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Chuck. The state of Florida has until November 14 to complete a recount for three statewide races, senator, governor, and agricultural commissioner. State law requires a machine recount in races where the margin is less than half a percentage point. In the Senate race, Governor Rick Scott's lead over incumbent Democrat Bill Nelson was 0.14 percentage points. In the governor's contest, unofficial results showed Republican Ron DeSantis ahead of Democratic Tallahassee Mayor Andrew Gillum by 0.41 percentage points. With the governorship expected to remain in Republican hands, major changes in public policy appear unlikely. Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Patronis won election to continue in his role after having been appointed by the current governor to fill an unexpired term. And current Commissioner David Altmyer is likely to remain in place as well. Keeping a GOP governor is a big deal because there are three Florida Supreme Court justices retiring due to age limits. NAMIX Regional Vice President Liz Reynolds says those appointments could be helpful for resolving conflicting lower court opinions on aspects regarding the use of assignment of benefits with insurance claims. So one of the uncertainties going into the Florida governor's race, which was predicted to be and indeed has been and continues to be um, a very, very close race, is the impact that the winner of that race would have on this, uh, on this appointment process that will take place very quickly. Uh, currently, there are two uh, lower court cases regarding how AOBs and the benefits that are part of uh, those AOBs uh, are transferred um, that conflict with one another. And so we would like to see those conflicting cases be taken up by the Florida Supreme Court and having more conservative justices on the court would certainly um, uh, would certainly give us comfort into how uh, those lower court cases might be resolved where assignment of benefits issues are concerned. NAMIC has been focused on decoupling the one-way attorney fee statutes from AOBs for many years. The week after Thanksgiving, NAMIC will participate in the Florida Chamber Insurance Summit, where Florida's business community, insurance executives, and elected officials will gather to discuss crucial issues, including AOB lawsuits. Be sure to tune in to the next episode of Insurance Uncovered for a report on that event. In Oklahoma, Republican Glenn Mulready has won the election to become the state's next insurance commissioner. Earlier this week, we spoke with Mulready about his pledge to address concerns he heard while on the campaign trail regarding uninsured motorists. We have one of the highest uninsured rates in the country. One in, one in four motorists on the road are uninsured. Uh, but we have some new things that just went into place November 1st that, that we passed through the legislature. 
Um, some of that involving where the, the data, uh, the database is kept and how that's uh, distributed as well as uh, cameras scanning license plates to flag uh, proactively uninsured uh, motorists. So those just went into effect November 1st. So we're hoping to have a positive impact on that. But I did hear a lot about uh, uninsured motorists on the campaign trail too. As a current member of Oklahoma's House of Representatives, Mulready helped pass those new uninsured motorist laws. He also comes into the position with 35 years of experience in the insurance industry. Mulready has been an active participant in the National Council of Insurance Legislators and is part of the team that will host NCOIL's annual meeting in Oklahoma City coming up in a few weeks. In Arkansas, Republican Senator Jason Rapert held onto his seat for the fourth straight term. Rapert was NAMIC's State Legislator of the Year in 2017 and played a key role in the Towing and Model Recovery Act. We spoke with Rapert earlier this year about the challenges NCOIL will face with the high turnover among legislators. Right now, again, you happen to be talking with me as president of NCOIL at a time when we have some of the greatest participation and the most robust participation that we have experienced. So in that respect, times are good. Now, going forward, as people leave office, term limits take effect on certain legislators, we're going to lose some of those people. And so that's an ongoing challenge, which is really a challenge even for the state legislatures, is to keep good people in office who have a willingness to serve and an ability to serve. For more on the key races across the country expected to impact the industry and how you can help with NAMIC's advocacy efforts in the coming legislative session, check out NAMIC's election bulletin online at NAMIC.org. And that's a wrap for this episode of the podcast. Don't forget to tune in again on November 28th for the next episode of Insurance Uncovered. We'll hear from Guy Fraker, Chief Innovation Officer at Insurance Thought Leadership. He'll discuss a recent survey conducted jointly with the Institutes about why an innovation strategy is a must for insurers of all sizes. Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Thanks for listening.